This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. It's episode 344 of the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm Jamie Bogner, my guest. On today's podcast is Josh Trujillo from Marble Brewing. Uh, what, what is your exact title, Josh? My official title is Master Brewer here. My unofficial title is Assistant Janitor. That pretty much sums it up. Exactly. So Marble has just pulled in a slew of medals, 12 GABF medals, three World Beer Cup medals, um, in these tiny little categories that nobody under is like Pilsner, you know. <laughs> But you guys have been making lager and won your first World Beer Cup uh, gold medal for Pills in 2014, way before way before all these hipster craft brewers uh, thought it was cool. Uh, we're going to talk about West Coast Pills. We're going to talk about uh, these kind of transitional beers. Cold IPA. Um, you've got uh, some interesting commonalities between West Coast Pills, Cold IPA that we'll get into. And of course, we'll talk about making hoppy beers here in, uh, in New Mexico. We are going to dive into the marble approach to making lager and then, of course, to making ale. Before we do that, at G&D Chillers, they always strive to build great chillers. Partner with them as you build great beer, but don't take it from me. Hey, this is Josh Erickson of Jafunka Brewing in Mandeville, Louisiana. The team at G&D were a critical part of our 10X expansion, always just a phone call or email away. And thanks to their superior equipment, technology, and documentation, commissioning our new chiller was smooth and straightforward. Now we can't wait until we need to upgrade our existing chiller. That's right. Choose G&D Chillers on your next expansion or brewery startup and receive one year free of remote control and monitoring for your new G&D Chiller. Also, turnkey brewery systems, production line design services, retrofitting processing systems. ProBrew can do all of this and more with any brewery, old or new, small or large. With an expansive list of breweries already served, their engineering team prides itself on providing a true turnkey solution built for your entire production line that can be easily customized to fit your operation. For more information, fill out their contact form at www.probrew.com or email contact us at probrew.com to learn exactly how they can take your operations to the next level. ProBrew, brew your beer. Also, are you struggling to source affordable citrus ingredients due to market fluctuations? Try Old Orchard's flavored craft juice concentrate blends which mimics straight concentrates at a better price point and with a more reliable supply. Old Orchard's citrus-flavored blends include blood orange, grapefruit, lemonade, lime, and tangerine. To learn more and request your free samples, head on over to oldorchard.com slash brewer. All right, Josh, we normally kick this off with a little bit of background. You've been here at Marble for quite a long time, and you've been in the driver's seat of the brewing program for a long time, too. Um, talk about your personal history through brewing, and then uh, also you know, give me the, the Marble story in brief. Yeah, you know, uh, Marble opened in 2008, and I started in 2008. So got my start at Marble in the brewery industry and have been here since. Before that, I was a welder by trade. OG. And, OG. And, yeah. uh, you know was was had quit my other job to kind of follow some dreams and yeah. do some other stuff and got it heavily into mountain biking and get thirsty after that so we'd you know come down to the pub after mountain biking you're and, a mountain biker too oh my god come come drink beer yeah. at marble and eventually kind of noticed that their bar stools and stuff were falling apart so me and my buddy would we'd come fix stools and trade for a beer tab and you know eventually was in need of work again and started here in 2008 as you know a bar back in general maintenance and kind of made my way up through through the lower ranks bartending and worked my way into the brewery and through through working with the brewery guys found out that I had a was a super taster and my palate was I had the ability to describe what I was tasting better than others and you know just you know inherently I'm a craftsman and beer is very much craftsmanship that I respect and grew a passion for that's really awesome what did you do to lean into that uh, how did you train that up internally just through uh, practice yeah you know drinking with people that know more than me and uh you know not being afraid to enter circles and 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 learn from people that have been doing it longer you know through guidance and just you know i'm a, I'm a foodie as well so sure you know food and beer go hand in hand so then what year did you uh, take on the brewmaster title um you know our previous brewmaster 
had moved into more of a president role sure. and I was much more hands-on on the beer and, and, uh, you'd say that was probably about 2016. We opened our pilot facility up in the Heights and kind of just started cranking away at R and D and, you know, developing new styles for production. And as he pulled away, he's, he kind of passed the title on to me, but you know, before that, like I said, I'd kind of filtered through all the roles, bottom up was the head brewer here for a while and, you know, kind of earned my stripes up through the ranks and landed here. And, you know, now I'm back downtown full time at our production facility. And, uh, to be honest with you, I haven't really done much with beer. I've been <laughs> doing a lot of facilities yeah, maintenance sure, sure. and, you know, you got whole teams of people to manage trying, doing trying those, yeah. to, you know, yeah. get everybody into uh, passion mode and make sure that the quality of the beer is first and, you know, drinking beer is the most important thing we could do in this industry, I think. 100%. So, uh, so what does Marble look like now? There's three, three tap rooms, one R&D brewery north here, and then the production facility here, the downtown brewery. Yeah, we have a tap room on the west side that, you know, just, just serves beer and that customer basis out there. The Heights, we have a 10-barrel system up there that we're doing one-off specialty stuff. Uh, That's the MAV lab. The MAV right? lab, we okay. call it. We're MAV scientists. MAV is our is our logo. Okay. The, the, the bird head is known as the Maverick, and so we kind of, you know, got a little playful there. And, okay. You know, so we, you know, we keep an eclectic list of beers for, for people to, to drink and, you know, do a handful of experimental stuff, but also try to keep on some of the trends and run a small batch and then scale up for production, depending on the traction that that beer receives in our tap rooms and general interest. And it's a regional brewery. You distribute, obviously, all throughout New Mexico, up, up to Colorado, where we are. Arizona, um, uh, West Texas, and... We're doing small stuff in Nevada with Meow Wolf. Oh, fun, fun, fun. So is there a general philosophy of beer making for uh, for Marble or something that drives, uh, you know, creates a framework for the innovation that you all pursue? Do you have, uh, you know, how, how do you define the the Marble, like, beer point of view? I mean, obviously we have our, our ethos and, you know, mission statement of quality and brewing what we want to drink, but I feel like nowadays – uh, the world is beer has changed so much that you kind of have to, you know, be ahead of the curve and looking towards some of the new trends and, you know, really making what customers want to see. You've seen an influx of light beers and Mexican lagers. You know, we were talking earlier when I got my start here, people would ridicule us if we were drinking a PBR or Miller Lite in the back and we were an IPA focused beer. But now our top seller is a corn adjunct Mexican lager that <laughs> outsells everything else. And, you know, our IPA and our hoppy beers still do great, but you know, it's, it's a different world now. So, you know, I think that you have to have a fluctuating approach these days and, and be able to adapt to what people want, but still retain, you know, the ability to make what you want to drink. And, you know, having the pilot facility still allows us quite a bit of range to, to experiment and, and just make things we want to drink. And then, you know, I've always been of the philosophy that if you want to drink it and your employees want to drink it, then, you know, inherently people will enjoy it as well. Sure. Sure. And lager really does underpin a lot of what you do and has for a long time. Like, well, like I joked about at the the start of this, uh, you all have Pilsner has been a big part of what you do, you know, for more a decade plus now. Um, you know, and it makes sense in the same way that, you know, lagers are so big in, in Texas, uh, you know, when you get into hot climates and, Albuquerque for a good portion of the year is a pretty warm climate. Uh, you know, the lighter beers, they, they work really well in that kind of scenario. And so, but lagers are something you've leaned pretty hard into for the whole brewing program. Yeah. You know, originally we, uh, built this place as an IPA focused brewery, like many, many people sure. have done. And, you know, we do quite a bit of that, but you know, sometimes IPAs can, can blow you out pretty quick and, you know, slowly just kind of gravitated towards, towards loggers. And I can remember our old head brewer, Daniel Jaramillo, who works at La Cumbre, mm -hmm. uh, was the one that one day was like, you, you like IPAs, you like all these things. He's like, oh, but here, drink this. And I just remember the day that like, it clicked for me that the Pilsner was, was equally hoppy and had the bitterness, but without some of the uh, downstream effects of like palate fatigue and, you know, crazy headache hangovers and stuff like that, you know, still have a huge appreciation for all beers. But, you know, I think within the lager definition, there's so many subcategories of lager from, you know, light to dark to 
fruited to, you know, high proof and, you know, different strains of lageries that it's a very versatile world of, of brewing. And now, you know, people are leaning more into steam beers and warm, warm fermentations with lager yeast. And there's really no boundaries to what people are experimenting with on the yeast. And, you know, now there's genetically modified yeast, sure, sure. some of which are lager yeast and dial driven. And it's, it's a crazy world, but I think at the end of the day, our most appreciated beers are the simple, straightforward lagers that are just crispy and crushable. You know, there's the, I think a balance of drinkability that across any style you have to achieve that, you know, if it has high drinkability and just really quaffable, then that's what people are going to want to drink. And it doesn't matter what the style or, you know, what version of Saccharomyces it is. That's true. Some of these details don't make it any more of an enjoyable drinking experience to most people. There to are some people. people, there are some people to where they need to know all the details in order to, to properly enjoy it. But most people just want a, a great tasting beer. Yep. Yeah. And, and you know, if it's smooth and, and drinkable, it could be a little hoppier or a little less hoppier, kind of have all those things. So I, you know, I think, you know, patience within the lager yeast too, if you're trying to turn stuff out quickly, then, it's not going to taste as, as enjoyable. You have to have that finesse and, you know, low and slow, you know, brisket, for example, you cook a brisket in four hours. It's not going to be as good as sure. the brisket you cook in 20 and you have to, you know, take that mindset. And no, and I think, yeah, you're right. And I think the, you know, the other key on all of this is, is making these beers where somebody, something doesn't stick out so much that somebody has to ask, well, why, why, why is that part of the beer there? Like you haven't really succeeded with your lager brewing if somebody notices the things sticking out or notices those edges in it uh, you know and it becomes really successful when people don't notice that and they just enjoy drinking it um, there's an art to that um, but again you all have uh, you know recently won a medal for uh, Dortmunder you've uh, you know won plenty of medals on the the lager side for for Pilsner and uh, uh, you've Again, make Mexican lager. I'm drinking rice lager right here too. So those adjunct lagers are definitely spaces that you all play in. I want to talk about that, you know, that kind of approach to lager brewing. And maybe we'll start with some of the lighter adjunct lagers before we get into pills and the hoppier stuff. Um, before we do that, streamline efficiency with Omega Yeast's diacetyl knockout series. The DKO series is comprised of eight familiar yeast strains engineered to knock out the formation of diacetyl before it starts. The strains you know now better. Available now for made-to-order pitchables at any volume. Contact Omega Yeast today at omegayeast.com. Also, ABS Commercial has been a full-service brewery outfitter for over 10 years, where they are proud to offer brew houses tanks, keg washers, and preventative maintenance parts to brewers across the country as well as equipment for distilling, cider making, wine making, and more. They know the ins and outs of the brewing and installation process and can design the perfect setup for you, whether you're just starting out or looking to expand. Contact them today at sales at abs-commercial.com to discuss your customized brewery needs. ABS Commercial, we are brewers. And are you planning a brewery considering the purchase of an existing brewery? Or are you working in the industry and kicking around the idea of realizing your own brewery vision? If any of these apply, go to breweryworkshop.com right now. Check out our upcoming Brewery Accelerator, March 24th through 27th in Austin, Texas. Some of our favorite award-winning brewers are joining us to help share the knowledge you need, like Marcus Baskerville of Weathered Souls, Joe Moorfeld of Pint House, and Neil Fisher of Weldworks. This will be the only Brewery Accelerator event in 2024, so don't wait. Secure your spot now at breweryworkshop.com. Strangely enough, on that subject, before I came over here to do this podcast, I, I needed a, a place to sit down, so I went over to Flock of Moons because they opened up at noon, sat down in the tap room to do some work. Um, and Jeff, the head brewer, co-founder of Flock of Moons, was the, attended the 2021 Brewery Accelerator that we did in Denver, Colorado, and so it was fun to see him and reconnect and watch folks that have come through that program out and uh, building breweries in the world. So anyway, that's I digress. Uh, let's talk, Josh, let's talk about, uh, lager brewing. Yeah. So where does it start for you guys? You know, as you were designing a lager recipe, um, man, maybe that's too broad of a question. Um, what are, you know, in the, the kind of pale lager side of things, the adjunct lager side, um, as you think about building, say a Mexican lager or a Japanese rice lager, where do you start in that recipe thinking about how you're going to build the uh, base malt and then, you know, layer in an adjunct and then think about how those ingredients work 
you know, through a mash and then a, a fermentation process. What creatively, where do you start? You know, uh, trying some outside examples yeah, sure, of sure, course sure. and seeing what other people are doing, surveying, what, right. What, yeah, what their yeah. approach is market research and kind of seeing what do we want to achieve? What, uh, within those guidelines, you know, within our own expression too. Right. So, you know, anybody could just throw some shit at the wall and call it, call it a rice lager. But, you know, we, we, we take a more simple approach and, you know, try not to build too many base malts and clutter the malt background and rather just kind of have a, you know, straightforward, clean profile, you know, one, one hop addition up front first wort hop. So we, you know, get the bitterness that we need, but drives off as much volatile stuff, you know, compounds out, out the top. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think especially with corn, there's just kind of an inherent DMS level that you're going to achieve. So I think if you could clean up the, the malt profile a little bit, then let the corn bring in some of the sweetness rather than, you know, getting muddled in with what does that mean? Clean up, you know, then you're looking for a lower flavor, uh, uh, you know, uh, Pilsner malt to, you know, fill from the base there or, you know, well, I mean, we, we run, we run a proximity in our silo. Okay. So that's kind of the base for, for the majority of our production beers is the proximity two row. Um, you know, obviously our more, you know, German based lagers will, will bring in some, you know, German specific malt. We use a lot of wireman, some yeah. Salzgitter, but just, you know, I've, I've had some versions of these adjunct lagers that are, you know, a, a base malt or a Pilsner malt. And then there's a bunch of Vienna on there and then there's a little bit of Munich and then they might use some dextrin malt and just feel like the, it just clutters the middle of the beer and makes the corn pop out with mm. this like sweet kind of corn chip thing that to me drives DMS to the front of the flavor profile. So you just, you know, one or two ingredients and let it firm out. We do use a small percentage of dextrose to get the dryness that we want yeah, and yeah. kind of crisp up the beer a little bit. You know, are you, do you use flaked corn or are you cereal mashing into this? No, we're just using flaked corn in okay. the mash. And, cool. You know, unfortunately we don't have a, the ability to, <laughs> to do a cereal cooker and move it all over someday perhaps. But as you saw, we're shoehorned pretty tightly into this spot with the brew house and everything that we got. So it's, yeah, it's tough to really say we're going to, we're going to add a cereal cooker. Right. Just for to boil rice and so you, and you really like just that, so. it's two row uh pale malt and not not a pilsner malt and uh you know in an uh, adjunct rice lager or a mexican lager yep cool two, two row the you know tiniest little bit of vienna malt to yeah. kind of give give a small middle to it and is that proximity uh two row you know a pretty low flavor or pretty you know simplest i shouldn't these are all negative uh, connotations and I, I hate to have that you know you mentioned the word clean it's it, yeah. it's a you know a pretty uh uh, it's, it's it's neutral okay. in terms of the the flavor profile, but it has it it has a you know a, a nice bready malt character to it. Uh-huh. And, you know, it could go miles deep on the difference between everybody's most simple two row two row barley, and they all have their small differences to it. You know, right now we're running running proximity, and it yeah. kind of has like a small underlying nutty character to uh-huh. it, but it's not over expressive where you're you know it will overtake some of the, sure, other, the sure. other stuff in there and it, it allows for the it's yeast. no golden promise. Yeah. It's not going to just, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, something like a Mexican lager, you know, as much as we make, make of it, we want to, we want to keep our margins good too. Right. Sure. So sure. I, well, I think you know, some, I think yeah. some of these, you know, craft macro type models, if you get too complex, then the people you're marketing it to, it's, you know, above their heads and, they might not necessarily sure. understand the the complexity of this malt, whereas you as a brewer are really proud of the grain build that you built. And they're just like, ah, fuck it. I'm going to squeeze a lime in there anyway. So, you know, we try to keep it clean, balanced, and and, and crisp with, you know, like highlight the corn. If you drink the, our rice lager and our corn lager side by side, you'll definitely notice differences within the adjunct right. characteristic, but not really a lot between the base malt. They're, they're pretty similar. They're the same yeast, same fermentation temperatures. Mm-hmm. Is there anything to, you know, whether it's malt handling or mash schedule that uh, helps you build this kind of, you know, neutral and light malt character to it? 
think a good a good runoff. You know, we're yeah. we're doing a single infusion mash, and mm-hmm. you know, we're trying to get five brews in in a day. So we definitely have to hit the timeline. Right. If we extend our mash too long, then you know, at some point we're just getting diminishing returns. So I think the you know understanding of the 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 brew house operator and you know kind of hitting those those timelines and maintaining consistency throughout the the brew house schedule is really what it is. You know, at the, at the very simplest of it, we're, we're using our two row, a little Vienna and, you know, acidifying the mash to get our pH right and dumping some flaked corn in with the mash and, you know, letting it rest an hour, recirc, all that stuff kind of within that hour and mm-hmm. running it off clean. So we don't get no astringency. It's really what it is. Try to minimize the astringency yeah. and, you know, find balance within the corn and the base malt with the first wort hop to lay just enough bitterness down. We're using crystal in our mm-hmm. Mexican because for me, it kind of has a citrus zest in the background okay. that kind of offers a, a little brightness to it that, you know, not really getting with. And you're doing other. it with T90s then and not yeah. say a flowable product there. No. Okay. T- T90 crystal. Yeah. Is it, is it the same for the ten, rice? 10 IBUs. Okay. Same for the rice lager or is that a different hop? The rice lager is German Magnum. Okay. Good, good, solid bittering hop right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Pre- predict, predictable, neutral, and, you know. Yeah. High, high alpha, so get get good yield out of the out of the kettle. And, and with these single... Boil, boiling yeah. it long enough is really, really where we've we've come down to being a, a big determining factor in there. And, what do you, you mean? Know, your, 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 your length of boil. Oh, yeah. And making sure you have a good, vigorous boil and... You know, managing the DMS trap, make sure there's nothing clogged in there and just flowing back in. And yeah. like like I had mentioned, you know, I find with the corn, like the DMS kind of pushes up a little bit more than like with the rice or some of our other mm-hmm. German style loggers. Do these get a longer boil then or is it just a, a, a normal 60 minute boil? We're doing 90 minutes. 90 minutes. Okay. So you are making a concession despite having to do five turns a day. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, just that's, and that single infusion mash is producing everything you need in terms of, uh, you know, finishing gravity and, you know, the attenuation and everything throughout the process. Yeah. I mean, that brew house has been with us since 2011 and we yeah. kind of figured it out, you know, given the, given the footprint of what we have, it's mash louder combo. And, you know, at the time was the biggest brew house we could fit in there for, you know, the best, the best price. Sure. And, and we've kind of just you know, learned how to use it properly. And, you know, it would be awesome to get some more mashing equipment and really exemplify that, that process. But sometimes you work with the tools that you have and it's really about understanding how your system works. I could send all my recipes to a hundred other breweries and they're all going to taste a little bit different. So amen to that, Josh, understanding your process, your equipment, what you want to achieve in your beer flavor profile and tasting them regular at the end of the day, you know, are you drinking your beer at the, at the bar top and, and enjoying it? And, and if not, then you need to go back to the drawing board and figure out. It's, it is such an interesting thing. And I've had, of course, obviously the same conversation here on the podcast, uh, you know, with Amos and Swifty and Kim from ABGB, you know, you can make loggers and lots, you can make very, very good lager beers in lots of different ways. And some may be a little easier than others. Some may be a little bit harder if you don't have equipment that's specifically made for that. But at the same time, once you learn it and once you know how they work and how that fermentation works, how the, all the other pieces work, like, you know, uh, then it's on to the brewer and it's not, you can't just blame the equipment for that. So, um, you are hitting a note that, uh, that I think, uh, you know, plenty of brewers agree with in that sense. Um, absolutely. And then, you know, if you, if you achieve the point, I think of where, you know, you're comfortable and are doing the best you can on, on the equipment that you have and you're only achieving certain results, then, you know, maybe it is time to upgrade equipment. If, if you, if you have the finance, if you have the space, if you have all these things, cause you know, great equipment and, you know, novice hands won't produce much, but vice versa as well. I've seen some amazing stuff turned out on some shitty equipment and but I'm going to bring that one back to my mountain bike metaphor since you brought it up first, not me, but, uh, you know, whenever somebody asks, Oh, when should I get a new bike? You know? And my, my answer was always, 
you buy the new bike when you can articulate what it is that you need to accomplish with that new, more expensive piece of equipment. If you're not able to articulate what you want out of it and what you're hoping to achieve, then maybe you're not ready yet to go, you know, make that, you know, buy that $7,000 carbon fiber bike. If you don't know what you're trying to accomplish, you know, but once you do know, then you can be very, you know, then you know how to define what that next upgrade is going to be and why you're going to make it. And of course, you know, if you're trying to defend it to a brewery owner, you can make a good case for uh, the ROI on it and what, what it's going to allow you to achieve. Edu- educated decisions rather than just, you know, getting toys for the sake of having new stuff. No, for sure. For sure. Um, makes a lot of sense. So then, uh, you know, on this adjunct side, and again, we'll talk about Pilsner here in a minute, but on the a- adjunct lager side, um, you know, are all your lagers, do they go through a similar, uh, fermentation regimen then? Yeah. Uh, pretty much all of our lagers, unless obviously it's a cold IPA, uh, are, are about, but that's know, an IPA, not a lager, 40, Josh, 40, 48 degrees, yeah. you know, up to 55 with about two degree Play-Doh left in fermentation. And, you know, ride the diacetyl rest out 55. Sometimes if it's colder in the winters and our facility is a little colder, we might bring them up to a little bit closer to 60 just cause we know they're going to, you know, have a harder time yeah, in a cold yeah. facility in the summer months. We have no problem them coming up to 55 degrees, but you know, that's, that's it. 48, hmm. 55. No, no, st- no stepping up through over a couple of days. We yeah. kind of wait till we get to a certain gravity and then know that about two to three degrees Play-Doh is going to give us the, you know, that increase that we need. Yeah. What you used to use? We're running the equivalent of the Bavarian. Hmm. Uh, we, most of our stuff's coming from BSI and those guys have been great to us. They're just a, just one state just away from there. They're, they're yeah. the closest to us. So that that's very helpful. And, yeah. You know, getting new pitchables in or customer support, things like that. We have bounced around a handful of yeast suppliers over our, sure. you know, it'll be now 16 years. And, you know, I think that everybody, everybody has their own kind of cool, cool yeast and stuff like that. But BSIs work best for us. And hey, um, with, with that yeast, are there any peculiarities of, of how it works for you or things that you found, you know, ways that you need to treat it in order for it to, to give you what you're looking for within your, uh, your cellar doesn't like to be rushed. Okay. You, you know, want to, you know, pitch, pitch proper amount. Yeah. What's proper. We're, we're between one and a half to two mil per milliliter mm-hmm. per degree Play-Doh. And depending on the strength of the beer, you know, basic, basic, uh, basic range, mm-hmm. depending on the beer though, we, we might pitch a little bit more or pitch a little bit less if we're trying to get the ester profile up a little bit. And, are all of know. the, are all of your lagers single brews or do you do multiple turns into, into tanks for, for these bigger, for these lagers? Multiple turns. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we're doing, you know, five, five turns into one one fifty. We have a 30 barrel brew house. So, you know, five turns to hit that one fifty mark and, and insert Vesa. I mean, and you're doing that in one day then all five yeah. turns in one day. Yep. Okay. And so you're not drawflousing it uh, no, with uh, two two days. Okay, uh, we you know we might have to do that depending on the uh, on on what we actually get out of the crop. And okay, you know, fortunately, our our team is pretty solid and understands what those changes will be on the fly. And yeah, you know, you never want to you never want to mash in before you actually get your yeast. So you know, we'll we'll, <laughs> sure. we'll get our yeast and say, oh, there's enough for. Enough for this. We might only be making a ninety and and, and running that out, or mm-hmm. you know, we've we've uh, had success brewing brewing ninety barrels and then you know putting another batch in the next day and bringing it up to one twenty. Sure, really, sure. just for us, it's just seeing what it's doing and you know, talk, yeah. talk to the beer, see what it wants. And so for that, you know, for a beer where you're you know, a lager that you're going five turns and you'll pitch you know enough yeast. For the full, for the full batch, and in, in with at that first turn, yeah. Huh. I mean, we're yeah. we're running a perfect perfect pitch, okay. Just an in, inline, inline, yeah. And you know, uh, oftentimes you're just doing a cone to cone the the night before, and mm-hmm. you know, set our jackets down into a range where the yeast is comfortable and happy, and then you know, brew on top of it the next day. And you know, you obviously you want to look at the look at the history of the yeast performance and. Mm-hmm. See, see if you've had any issues with previous batches as the pH kind of within, you know, normal, normal values throughout the, the, you know, previous three batches or something like that. And, 
make adjustments or if we do notice some issues and we, you know, we might not, might not even use that yeast or right. really assessing as you go. Can't, can't bank on that stuff sometimes and otherwise you end up in trouble. Sure. Sure. Um, and then, you know, how do you, uh, is there anything to the, to the finishing? Are you, uh, capping these tanks, uh, and grabbing any, uh, any CO2 at the end of it or, uh, you know, how, how do you finish your fermentation? Some of the stuff in the, in our pilot facility, we're, mm -hmm. you know, capping off and trying to catch a little bit of that, you know, natural carbonation sure, sure. And if, if we can. And, you know, and in the production facility, we're turning over a little bit more and, you know, sulfur can, yeah. sulfur can be an issue. So for the most part, we're, you know, we're pulling the blow off bucket and letting it, sure. letting it vent off to get as much of the sulfur dissipation mm. as possible. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we're actually, we'll do like a, you know, our VDK and all that stuff, but we'll also pull sulfur samples daily and just kind of run it through the crew and see, see if there's sulfur on the beer before we'll crash it. And yeah. even though the beer might be diacetyl negative and kind of ready, ready to move, if we're not happy with where the sulfur level's at, we'll, we'll give it that extra data and let the CO2 that's in the, in the liquid push some of that sulfur off and sure, try sure. to make a cleaner beer. Cool. Well, you know, I know a lot yeah. of brewers out there that are like, oh, the sulfur is acceptable in some of these things, but I don't know, we tend to be a little bit more sensitive to it and like our sulfur a little bit cleaner. Well, I could argue about that. I love sulfur. And so, uh, you know, but again, that's preference and, uh, you can, you make your beer and, uh, obviously other people like it. Too, yeah. I, so. and, you know, in, in the right quantities, it's, a, it's excellent. Sure. But if it's the prevalent note, it might not be as appealing and lower drinkability. You know, to each their own, and that's why we have a broad, wide world of beer out here. I uh, again, I won't argue that one too hard. Uh, I want to let's shift gears and talk about uh, hoppy lagers, and we can start with Pilsner, and then I uh, definitely want to talk about West Coast Pilsner, and then uh, you know get into cold IPA. And we're just going to follow this hoppy transition all the way through the spectrum of uh, hoppy beers made with lager yeast. And, uh, uh, but before we do that, SS Brewtech was founded by a group of home and craft beer brewers dedicated to bringing in an engineering first approach to brewery equipment. SS brew houses are used to formulate new beer recipes at some of the world's greatest breweries and are the cornerstone of many local breweries. To learn more about SS Brewtech's innovation list, head on over to ssbrewtech.com. Also, have you heard of Christian Hansen? They are the fermentation experts with over 100 years of experience in dairy and wine, and they are now bringing that knowledge of microbes to brewers with their SmartBev range of frozen liquid yeast and freeze-dried bacteria. This portfolio allows for consistent performance at the brewery and produces a range of high-quality brews. Reimagine what your beer can be. Go to chr-hansen, that's H-A-N-S-E-N.com to learn more on the SmartBev line of products. All right, Josh, let's talk about your Pilsner. Um, your Pilsner has been dry hopped, uh, from early days, uh, from, from, uh, much earlier than, uh, a lot of folks were out there dry hopping Pilsners. Yeah. Well, we started dropping our pills about end of 2011, 2012, and it based on a specialty beer that I had made. And it was kind of like based loosely around a Hellas, but it, you know, people are pretty harsh if you dry hop a Hellas. Uh, but I wanted to dry hop this Hellas just a little bit. So we threw, you know, maybe like just under quarter pound per barrel of some really nice middle fruit at this, you know, Hellas like beer. It was called beer. Beer. Uh, you know, funny enough, Jeff Irwin put out put out beer at Lacumbre, so I put out B I E R beer. Okay. To to have a little fun. And uh everybody here on staff was like, Oh, that's delicious. Let's start dry upping <laughs> our Pilsner. And, you know, kind of went from there and what was it about it? And, and I mean, obviously it sounds like having a Hellas base for this experiment makes sense, you know, with enough malt to kind of stand up to some of that, you know, additional hop character. How do you find that balance? And then, you know, how, how do you, uh, you know, make those hop selections in order to, to work in this kind of small, you know, high pointing rather than hops becoming the, the focal, uh, you know, or the, the intense focus of the beer itself. It is pretty tricky. I find with the Pilsner to, to dry hop just the right amount. It's very easy to add too much. And then it goes into, you know, like way too herbal gets tea like, or, you know, mm. you even find sometimes on, a, on ours with, if somebody, you know, adds a little extra dumps the whole bag in on accident or, you know, doesn't 
say dry hop for a 60 barrel batch and there's only 30 in there or something like that, then it tend, kind of sounds tend, like these things have happened before. It tends to lean into, uh, I don't know, for me, like Formica and gets mm. kind of plasticky and puppy's breath like, and, you know, we know from experience that, that, you know, there's kind of this magic amount, but it really just sort of brightened up the overall flavor profile and our, our Pilsner's, you know, Pilsner malt, that's it. Uh, <laughs> Pilsner malt. Pilsner malt. Yeah. And is there, you mentioned using uh Weirman or, you know, for yeah. some of the German style stuff. Is, and is that, yeah, that's a hundred percent Weirman, Weirman pills, no Barca, mm-hmm. no Bohemia, just their standard pills malt, a uh, little bit of acidulated to adjust the mash pH. Yeah. Uh, RO water. It is our one, one, yeah. one of our production beers that we run full RO on and bring the, you know, the calcium up as, as needed to kind of, accent that malt just a touch hmm. and then you know it's got a first why water. just that one well we season all of our beers okay. but you know that one's pretty specific given the ro and just the yeah the clean nature of the water we really got to dial the salt in what is the we have such hard what, hard yeah. water here okay. that it's you know it could these lighter beers can tend to be pretty coarse right and it, it shows through in the hot profile it shows through in the malt profile that is just this like underlying uh, bite to it mm-hmm. a little bit too heavy of a minerality. So we, you know, we've found through trial and error that we like our pills hundred percent RO mm. pretty simple, straightforward recipe. And then, you know, we're doing a first wort hop tetanang middle through hit it with a 60 minute charge of German Magnum. And then it gets a, a whirlpool edition of tetanang middle through Herzbrucker. So talk to me about your hop selections on this Pilsner. Yeah. You're, you're pulling from a, you know, a few different things there. Yeah. I mean, you know, the middle fruit for us, it's nice and floral and herbal contains a little bit of spiciness to it that I think is just a well-rounded, pleasant hop in general. Mm -hmm. And then the tetanang tends to be a little bit more assertive on the spice and, and can lean like lean heavier into the herbal sometimes. So, you know, there's a smaller amount of tetanang in there. And then the Herzbrucker is one of the fruitier noble varieties mm-hmm. that that I've worked with and kind of just hits this nice note of, you know, lemongrass or something like that. Huh? Three hops. That's more complex than a lot of people. A lot of make people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're so simple in other things. And here you are, uh, you know, three getting, hops in a Pilsner. Here. Sure. Sure. How do you, you know, do you, you know, do you do anything to, you know, make sure that those hops are, um, you know, coming in consistently, uh, you know, year after year, do you make adjustments on a yearly basis? Cause certainly with some of these, you know, those, the environmental conditions that they're growing in are, are shifting a little bit. And, uh, you know, I know everyone's having to pay attention to everything from alpha to, to flavor and aroma in some of these, you know, we're not making enough pills to, to select certain lots, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. And with these, you know, crazy IPA brewers throwing a bunch of middle through and trying to, you know, get all this bio transformation out of it. It's become kind of hard to get a hold of middle fruit. And, you know, we try to try to secure lots that we like in advance and plan, sure. plan our Pilsner for the year and say, this is how much hops we're going to need. Do we know we do keep some other noble varieties around for, for other things and, you know, substitute as needed, but you know, as long running as this, the Pilsner for us is that it's a very specific flavor profile. And mm-hmm. if you adjust it ever so slightly, the customers even will, kind of squirm a little bit in there. Sure, they, sure. They want their lifestyle beer to taste taste the same. So then you don't whirlpool hop, but you do dry hop. We do whirlpool. Oh, hop. you do whirlpool. Yes. Okay. So you do both of those things. We do then. both of those things. And the whirlpool is it's modest, but you know, by some people's standards might be heavy, but you know, it's what's modest? I think hot side our pilsner is it's around a pound per barrel. Oh wow. Yeah. That's a fair amount of whirlpool hops. Fair amount, you know, that's you know, that's the whole that's the whole hop schedule combined. Oh, okay. And, you know, I'd say probably a third of that is at Whirlpool to okay. to really, you know, bring bring the hops up front and be be the shining star and you know, target about thirty eight IBUs. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. range range around, you know, thirty six to forty. Somewhere in there. Okay. You're, you're getting there. there. It's pretty good. But it's, you know, we don't, <laughs> don't want it to drink like an IPA, but sure, we don't want sure. it to be, 
multi-hellus either. It's a, you know, those pale lager ranges are, there's very, very tight lines, I think, between some of those styles and right. and what people, you know, might might call our pills something else and I might call their hell something else. It's, but it's all personal preference sure, when I think, you're, to some degree. When your Pilsner is 24 IBUs and your Hellas is 16 IBUs, then like, okay, right. You know, maybe that's not quite as much difference as, uh, you know, and, and there are some people that can parse that out, but I am definitely in the hoppy Pilsner, you know, uh, yeah. camp and I know Joe Stang is. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, even influential brewers like uh, Eric Toft at Shinram are definitely in the hoppy Hellas and hoppy Pilsner, you know camp um, yeah no i've had many conversations with eric toft at you know craft yeah beer conferences and kind of the whole the whole range and you know one of the one of the finer pilsners out there i think and he's got a very very specific method and and, and flavor profile and drinkability to that beer that i wish you could get it stateside more often and it's absolutely you can in southern california the distributor uh pulls or importer who pulls it in out there mark uh gets it out there and i am excited i found a place at uh, at the Venetian um, that actually carries uh, Shinram bottles, and I'm not going to blow up the spot and tell everybody because then they'll they'll sell out of it immediately. Um, but anyway, there will I, you know in Vegas at CBC there is uh, there are places to get Shinram. Anyway, send totally it. off on send it, it Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I did my research, you know, I, I, that's my important research. Where do I find Shinram in Las Vegas? No, no, no uh, Eric's a genius. And if you want to listen to that, I talked to him for an hour and 45 minutes on the podcast a couple years ago. And, um, he blew me away with, uh, the kind of level of detail that he is pursuing on that stuff. All I'm trying to say is that, uh, it's interesting to see this hoppier approach to, uh, you know, to lager brewing, which is interesting. so you, and it's you know, been, it's been like this since, like I said, 2011, 2012, and, made very minor adjustments to this beer you know really the only adjustments are incoming hops and what what the crop looks like other than that it's it's maintained consistency throughout that timeline and is this also a 90 minute boil yes sir all right you know uh cook those hops as of as of late uh in some of the competitions they've mentioned it's a little too hoppy but oh yeah but we love it so it's just ah, too hoppy i mean it's all it's all just uh, fashion, right? You know, at some point here, the fashion will, will swing back to maybe a little bit more hoppy, a little bit more bitter, and then you'll you'll yeah you'll be you'll be there already. Um, how what's dry hopping then look like? Obviously, you're trying to you know quarter pound per barrel is what you mentioned, right? Yeah, a, super a, subtle about there, super subtle, just just enough to kind of you know bring that not not grassy but sort of fresh mm-hmm. perfume to it and. You know, it's kind of what what the target is to not quite Dillard's, but like mm-hmm. have a nice perfumey <laughs> floral aspect. Yeah. You know, you get a lot of you know, kind of like honey honeysuckle out of the malt. So with a mm-hmm. little bit of the middle fruit to kind of bring in that flowery aspect, it drinks just yeah. You know, like it has a, an excellent bouquet to it, but with like a little bit of black pepper and a right. touch of like you know citrus from the Herzbrucker in the background. It has an assertive bitterness to it that you know, in my opinion, kind of rides the whole beer. It's not just, yeah. you know, not just at the finish, but you know, the finish is still very balanced and you can taste the, the nice Pilsner malt and mm-hmm. a lot of the hop components all the way to the end. And is there anything to the way that you all dry hop, you know, in, in order to, um, you know, make sure that you're getting, uh, you know, that kind of well, uh, integrated, uh, you know, hop character in the beer itself. On the Pilsner, just dumping it in the in the dry hop cone and All right. calling it calling it yeah, good. Yeah. Try to be pretty delicate with that one. Are there you're, are you doing this one cold or uh, do you raise the temperature for the dry hop or no fifty five degrees? Hmm. So still pretty pretty chilly, relatively still chilly. pretty relatively chilly compared to yeah to our IPAs and such. How does that change the? But that's where the yeah. that's really where the you know the rate goes a long way. Cause you get too much hops in there and then it just turns, turns tea like and right. gets that sort of, you know, chlorophyll character to it that really detracts from, I think the finer sides of the hops that we're using. Sometimes those colder temperatures can just, you know, can pull out more of the, you know, the bitterness aspect at the expense of some of those softer floral and, uh, you know, characters. How do you, you know, do you, how do you manage for, for that kind of thing? 
You just don't. <laughs> just, you know, we we just like we, the way we get it. We, we like the way that we get it, and yeah. you know, we we could definitely tell when when there's more hops in it or somebody has made a mistake. And unfortunately, once once those hops are in there, you you, you can't take them out. So, you know, we're we are a fan of blending also. Mm. So you know, we do have the ability to sort of blend blend beers and kind of nail that flavor profile within within a certain range if, if we don't like the character that we're that we're getting on a certain dry hop or you know whirlpool hops right we do like you know the varieties we selected were definitely driven by flavor profile but mm -hmm. also lower alpha acid so you're going to get that like low alpha bitterness rather than some of that like high alpha bite and, right you know the magnum does does have a higher alpha but somehow it has a little bit more finesse to its mm -hmm. oil content i think and doesn't does it come across really heavy with a bite yeah no that that's it, it's been interesting to watch how brewers over the last number of years have massaged the quality of that bitterness and you know that it's not just the level of bitterness it's exactly. you know it is how it approaches the palate and you know is that a sharp and spiky bitterness or does it roll in and then build into this you know bitter crescendo and that that kind of softer edged bitterness becomes and magnum is, is actually pretty good at uh you know producing that kind of softer especially you know initial bitterness uh you know as it hits the palate yeah it's definitely one of the smoother high alpha varieties out there i think sure well you want to switch some gears again and talk start talking about uh, west coast pilsner let's go um, because now you uh you know you can move from this your regular pilsner is already dry hopped and now uh now you lean into dry hopping with uh, uh contemporary american hops um you know and uh, and go in there while at the same time keeping the space between West Coast Pilsner and your cold IPA, um, which you're pretty clear about, not just in terms of ABV, but also in terms of the way that they drink. So, you know, as you were thinking about how to, you know, move into this West Coast IPA thing and where, you know, how did you start ide ideating, you know, on what West Coast IPA would be for you all? You know, uh, that is... That Sorry, is, West Coast Pills. I West said Coast IPA. Pills, yeah. West Coast Pills. You know, that, uh, that particular Pills is from the brain of our head brewer up at, at Heights, Greg Dupie, and was inspired by the Dieguito from Pizza Port. He ran across a can and, mm. and we just really liked the, the soft Pilsner drinkability of it with these newer American flashy hops. And, you know, the, the West Coast Pills that we have on tap right now is Citrus Simcoe equal parts throughout and you know a little a little bit a little bit more of a dry hop but sim similar range to the pilsner so really mm -hmm. it's uh you know very much the approach of our of our house pilsner with just some some minor changes to it i think the the main difference in the malt bill on that is we use like the tiniest little bit of melanoidin malt to give it a bigger middle mm. But it's still the the uh, proximity pale, or uh, no? In the heights, we're running all bag malt, so that is okay. a, you know, Vireman Pills, okay, and Citrus Simcoe, first wort hop, and just a whirlpool on that one. There's there's not a any middle additions. It's interesting, and it's still without any middle additions. It's it a ton you, of flavor, but it gives you the kind of depth of of hops that you know, of hop flavor that you're looking for. Yep. Huh. Interesting. And then you know, similar similar dry hop rate. In a ten barrel batch at about quarter pound, point three pounds per barrel. Interesting. Yeah. So that's a pretty mellow, you know, for, for dry hopping, uh, you know, hoppy beer kind yeah, of. Yeah, definitely wanted to retain the pilsner aspect of it and not not go too far into. Right. You know, there's some there's very very tight lines. I feel like between West Coast pills, IPL, cold IPAs, and you know they kind of get get lost within each other. So. You know, Let's blur the lines. Greg was like, I, you know, I had this beer, really enjoyed it. Th this is what I'm thinking. You know, we kind of put our collective thoughts together and brewed one batch. It was really, really delicious. So he did a follow up to see, you know, what the consistency was between the two batches. And people, people like that, you know, citrusy aspect of the, the Citro with, you know, the Simcoe that, you know, I feel like the Simcoe is kind of plateaued out of cat piss and <laughs> black currant is a little more like green guava yeah. and you know softer softer fruits rather than that like big punchy uh -huh. simcoe that it used to be simcoe's coming back huh 
I mean, for a lot of brewers, it's never left. But yeah, uh, I mean, we've yeah. always we've always run Simcoe. Yeah, definitely got a soft spot in my heart for the Simcoe, and you know, it doesn't have that as aggressive of a bitterness as like the Mosaics and some of these newer. You know, like think Sabro is. Mm-hmm. You know, not only does it come across coconutty and big tropical, but it brings a mouthfeel to it that that I think that the, the Simcoe just kind of keep it classic, lemony, limey pills, some American hops, and you know, really set it apart from our German version. And what I like about it is that it, it you know, finishes with you know, like a briskness, you know, that yeah. uh, maybe just a little bit of herbal grassy kind of, you know, it almost, you know, hits you with a little bit of, of that like citrus sweetness. Um, and it just fools you into thinking that the beer is sweeter than it is. Um, but then it, it just kind of pulls it really tight at the end there and like, you know, um, it finishes fast and, uh, you know, but that's a nice technical feature and that like now I want, I want that little sweet hit at the front again really fast. And so I want to take another sip quickly rather than slowly. Um, yeah. It kind of has know. like that craveability to it. Yeah. And that's so, and then you're just, same kind of like one pound, you know, all on the hot side between first wart and whirlpool. That one might be a little bit bigger in, okay. in the overall weight, just being as, you know, people, I think here West coast and they, they're going to, they're going to want sure. that, that sure. happiness that goes along with it. So 50, 50 mix of Simcoe and Citra, or do you yep. lean towards one? No. Nope. Yeah. Equal parts. Anything different about the fermentation approach on this? No, we, I mean, we're, we're pretty standard on our, on our fermentation loggers, uh, mm. lager fermentations. We we're you know, happy with the results that we've, that we've got and the consistency within the styles and, you know, low ester production, clean yeah. alcohol. Yeah. How, uh, how do people respond to this, uh, you know, amongst your crowd of drinkers? They, they love the West coast pills. Yeah. Yeah. It does it's, all right. It's still, you know, it's still a pale lager. It has a little bit, a little bit higher strength than, than, a, a regular pills, but I think it's got, you know, some familiarities within. And this one's mid fives. Yeah, or, yeah, like five point five six, five seven. Yeah, okay. So whether it's a maybe it's a cold pale ale or maybe it's a West Coast Pilsner, maybe you know, one of those could be both of those things. Although it's if it's a colder fermentation, then we can call it West Coast Pils. Yeah, that one's definitely in in our lager range, uh, typical lager range. 48 up to 55. Yeah. What, um, and we can talk, we'll talk about that in the scope of cold IPA here in a second as to what the difference is in that, you know, between those, because the interesting part about it is that it's the same exact hop blend in your cold IPA. The cold IPA is, you know, like six and a half instead of, you know, five points. Like it's, it's not that far off. It's a little bit bigger. Um, you know, but, but then in fact, let's just, Let's just full on go talk about your your cold IPA too here. Yeah, the out of the cold IPA, this is you know we've made a handful of cold yeah. IPAs, if you would, and try to experiment. But the you know this most recent one, uh, same thing. Doopy was up at the heights, and, and he's like, I want to make a cold IPA. Last one did pretty good, and I I, I simply mentioned, well, we got West Coast Pills coming out. Would be kind of cool to see how that hot profile would do in this different range. And realistically, it's about the same. Same grain bill with the exception that there's a percentage of flaked rice added to it. A touch of dextrose. Why? Kind of make it a little bit drier. Yeah. You know, trying to trying to stick close to the original cold IPA on that one. And it's true. you know, the wayfinder the wayfinder pointers. And, you know, see see what that rice makes it crispy and offers a little bit something different to mm-hmm. to from to your a, perspective, it does to, it. Yeah, to it a work? malt to a malt profile that otherwise wouldn't wouldn't necessarily see rice in typically, right? Right. You know, you you've had uh, you know full on malt beers versus adjuncted malt beers like this with similar kind of hop approach. Like for you, how do you describe? Like, what do you think? Do you think you know? Does it work for you, and why do you think it works for you? I mean, to be honest with you, if you didn't tell me there's rice in that beer. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know the difference. Hey, uh, that's good. Uh, you know, I, we're getting to the truth here. I, I see the recipe. I know it's there, but overall it's, you know, a clean, clean yeast fermentation. And that's really what it is. Yeah. You know, the, the dry hop is a little bit more on the, the out of the cold IPA versus the West coast pills, but you know, just wanted to bring the bitterness up a touch more and the overall uh, perceived bitterness from the dry hop 
to sort of match the alcohol level as well. So it's, it's, you know, kind of been cool to drink both of those beers on tap at the same time and see, see a similar hot profile within similar grain bills. And with the same exact lager, I think he cropped the West coast pills and brewed the cold IPA with it uh, and just firm fermented it warmer. I think that one's 65 straight up, no temperature increase. Hmm. I personally lean towards the West coast pills edition. Um, and I think it's because it actually finishes a little bit more bitter. Uh, and, and that's just me because that's what I enjoy out of this. Um, strangely enough, uh, both are good beers. Both have, you know, definitely a commonality between them, you know, but there is just something that feels a little more crisp about that West coast pills that I enjoy. And, and maybe it's a lower ABV also to lower ABV. I think that the, you know, noticeable ester profile and the, the cold IPA at that warmer temperature, the yeast is throwing a little bit more raspberry note to it. That, mm. that kind of like changes the overall profile of the beer and the way that it drinks. I could see a little bit of that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And so uh, any other differences, uh, you know, with the cold IPA versus, so it's the same lager yeast, same Bavarian lager yeast. Yep. Same kind of temperature and, you know, slight variations of the, the malt bill and hop hop, uh, rates is is about it other than that it's pretty pretty similar (laughs) well all right then i mean uh you know that warmer temperature other than it's not an ale oh sorry and how much warmer (laughs) was it your normal was about 55 about you know 10 to 12 degrees okay and so this one's you know 65 to 67 62 to 65 okay Versus, you know, 48 raised up to 55. And and there definitely is more of a round character that I think comes from a little bit more, although it doesn't doesn't feel as huge on the ester side, but that berry component is an interesting one that you mentioned. Yeah, it's, it's hard to pick up, you know, especially at the rate with those two hops, very expressive. Mm-hmm. Kind of have to look for it. I think it changes the, you know, the middle more than anything else where those kind of the ester profile sort of, rides that initial bitterness into the sweetness and then kind of goes, goes to, you know, a more balanced finish. Whereas the West coast pills is, you know, a little bit more malt driven up front. You know that there's some hops in there, but then as you said, like the finish is really fast Mm -hmm. and kind of leaves you craving another drink. And like that little touch of sweetness comes in flashes for a second, but where with the, you know, the cold IPA, it's a little longer of a middle, I think that leads into the finish rather than just coming to the finish. And the cold IPA would have a warmer dry hop temperature then too, right? Yes. Yeah. And maybe that's some of that effect also. Yeah, bringing out some of the, the hop components yeah. that you're not seeing at a, you know, 55 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, I like to call it a warm IPL. <laughs> just, just to, you know, uh, <laughs> Put the knives and, uh, you know, <laughs> no knives. Just, just to tweak, just to tweak some folks a playful, little bit. Playful banter. Yeah. Uh, let's not get into the IPL argument. That is one of the most boring conversations that, uh, um, you know, like I, I know I, you know, in this world of brewing, it's big enough to, to, you know, incorporate all of these things and make space for all this while we also understand that the lines between stuff are always blurred. Nothing, you know, there are no binaries here. You know, this is all one big spectrum of things that all overlap and uh, collide with and intersect with. And, uh, and that's what makes it beautiful. You know, that there are all of these things. Yeah, man, there's a lot of personal perspective out there. And, and, you know, within, you know, the innovative side of things, we can cater to everybody's personal, you know, opinions and flavor profiles and kind of hit a lot of different notes and why not, you know, the, there's a, there's a class for truly traditional stuff. And then there's people putting whole pies and fermenters and, you know, cereal and mash tons and things like that. So, you know, within the swing of, you know, both ends of that pendulum, there's a lot of middle ground to kind of play around in and, and why not? Otherwise it's just the same old shit. Absolutely. So, so Josh, what's next for marble? What are you excited about now? What do you, uh, what is on your innovation radar? What are you, what are you guys experimenting with or, or looking towards, um, and are getting really excited about right now in your brewing? Man, you know, we're always trying to run a, you know, continuous improvement process and, you know, refining the styles that we already do and keep our core styles dialed in. But I think there's a lot of new, new hop varieties and hop products that are coming out that, that are really playful and 
are catering more to newer, newer palates and the new wave hops. And, uh, you know, I've, I look forward to taking this IPA series that we launched last year and bringing in some of these newer hop varieties to play with some of the old school hops and, you know, offer, uh, another play with some of the old school hops. Yeah. Okay. Well, tell right? me about like that. Say, say you take something classic like Cascade and Centennial, which everybody kind of is very familiar with the overall profiles of those. And you, you know, say you mix in 1% of that of Sabro or Nelson and, you know, kind of make like these kind of like harder edge hops that have a lot of impact and, and sort of boost up some of the more traditional profiles up just a little bit, make them, you know, not more interesting perhaps, but a little more playful and see, you know, see how these very familiar flavors go with, with something new and, and kind of be on the cutting edge of flavor profile without getting too drastic, like putting pies in your fermenter or something <laughs> like that, you know, working, sure, working sure. within a certain, certain means and certain grounds, but still offer uh, interesting new combinations. A little bit of innovation through tradition. I love it. Yeah. I love it. No, it's funny. It's funny that you say that because uh, earlier today I was on an email thread with Joe, our managing editor, and uh, Stan Hieronymus, and we had over the last week been talking with Stan, and he's got he's working on a story for our next IPA issue on brewing killer IPAs with sea hops because that shit is coming back, yeah, and I, uh, I think that's gonna. I think there's a big trend there. We're seeing it with a lot of brewers, and it's funny to hear you say exactly the same thing because we've been kind of you know talking about that quite a bit, uh, you know, over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I always love talking with Stan. He's, you know, uh, lived in Albuquerque for quite some time, and yep. you know we have a very uh, special connection here at Marble with Stan Hieronymus. So, uh, you know, it's always nice to see, hear what he has to say. He, he travels around quite a bit, and you know, has quite a bit of reverence for his opinion and people are pretty open to tell him, tell him their ways. And he communicates that to the rest of us and kind of within his articles pushes us all to do, do something different or, you know, trust other people's opinions. And, and, you know, otherwise you kind of get set in your ways and, you know, the, the classic sea hops are, are very nice. They, they're, it's cool to watch how brewers are finding space and figuring out even new ways to use these familiar hops um, and finding ways to you know, get uh, incredibly compelling results that feel modern and feel up to date, even if they, these hops themselves are such kind of classics of the craft space. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, with a lot of the, you know, science that's been you know, really dissecting some of the older varieties and kind of finding out some of the genetic makeups of them and how they, you know, react under biotransformation. And, you know, certain hops have, have, you know, a certain ability to change a beer profile, but it's something we've been using this whole time. And it's really just about, you know, your process of where do you use them? How much, you know, throwing them in the mash, right. And getting, you know, thiol release and then, biotransformation dry hopping on day two and trying not to make a volcano and kind of all these things so like the you know i think innovation within tradition is a good way to put it and and you know that's really fun i can't wait uh, i'm sure that stan's going to find someone brewing some great classic some great ipas using centennial so we can so we can stick it to Evan. Anyway, uh, before I go on too far, I think that's a great place to bring it to a close. Josh, thank you uh, for joining me here. Choose G&D Chillers on your next expansion or brewery startup and receive one free year of remote control and monitoring. ProBrew's engineering team prides itself on providing true customized turnkey solutions. Old Orchard is the go-to source for fruit-forward ingredients for some of the biggest names in the craft brewing landscape. Omega Yeast's Diastole Knockout Series is comprised of eight familiar yeast strains engineered to knock out the formation of diacetyl before it starts. ABS Commercial are proud to offer brew houses, tanks, keg washers, and preventative maintenance parts to brewers across the country. Secure your brewery accelerator spot now at breweryworkshop.com. SS Brewtech is dedicated to an engineering first approach to brewery equipment and powers R&D at some of the world's greatest breweries. And Christian Hansen's SmartBev range of frozen liquid yeast and freeze-dried bacteria allows for consistent performance and high quality. If you've enjoyed this episode uh, and any of the other episodes that we've produced for you here on the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast, go to beerandbrewing.com, click on that subscribe button, 
like Josh, become a subscriber to Craft Beer and Brewing and uh, support our work and uh, support the great work for write- from our writers like Stan Hieronymus and others who uh, are consistently trying to bring great stories for you, along with all the great recipes from other fellow pros that we love to pack inside the pages of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. Uh, Josh, do people want to learn more about Marble? Where can they find out more about Marble, both here in real life and out there on the internet? You know, you go to marblebrewery.com and look up our website and, you know, we could order merch online, beer finder, we have beer in all of Arizona, all of Colorado, all of New Mexico, West Texas. And come one of the three tap rooms here in Albuquerque and taste yep. it at the source. That's where it's best. Well, cheers, Josh. Thanks for joining me for this yeah. episode. It's been great to talk sure, to you. Thanks, about, thanks uh, for coming to our brewery and, yeah. you know, getting the word out there and, you know, support your local beer. I appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those who love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew.